This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Hey there, friends. Jamie here, and this is now episode 15 of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I am talking to Angela Braniff. You may know Angela from this gathered nest. It's hard to miss her with her seven kids, and spoiler alert, one on the way, So eight biological and adopted children, and she's a joy. She shares some things that we haven't talked about so far with embryo adoption and just learning about what trauma looks like and coming into this ignorant and learning as we go along. And I just so enjoyed my conversation with her, and I know that you will love it too. This is episode 15 of season two of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Angela Braniff. Angela is the mother of seven kids who have come to her through birth and about every kind of adoption that you can have. I'm so excited to hear from her and learn from her today. She has such a beautiful voice on these topics and so much experience and wisdom. So I'm so excited to introduce her to you. Hi, Angela. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? Good. We are both currently hiding from our children, (laughs) praying that we can eke out 30 minutes of conversation without them. Yes, it's always a struggle to find a good spot to hide when you need a minute. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I want to know about your family. I, I, I think you could probably just go on and on and on for hours and hours, but tell us about your family and how your children were added to your family. Yeah. So like you mentioned, we do have seven children and we started out having biological kids like uh, a lot of people do. And we had our oldest daughter, Kennedy. She's 12 now. And I had really bad hyperemesis with her. So Princess Kate kind of made that famous, Um, but it's basically just like super, super sick, nausea, vomiting, all that kind of not fun stuff. Um, And then we thought, okay, well, lightning won't strike twice. I won't have that again. So we got pregnant again and I had my daughter Shelby and it was the same thing. Are you serious? Um, It was it was even worse the second time than the first time, unfortunately. And so I ended up with a pick line and TPN and home health nurse coming to my house. And it was just, it wasn't pretty. And so we kind of thought we had talked about adoption. I knew I wanted to adopt since I was in high school. And so we had talked about it in our dating years and things like that. And my husband was always like, okay, yeah, we can definitely talk about that at some point. And so after we had our two biological girls and it was just kind of like, maybe God is closing the door for us on biological kids. Like it just didn't feel like maybe I wanted or needed to be pregnant again. And so we were like, let's just go ahead and venture down this path of adoption and see what happens. Um, And that's what we did. So we ended up, our first adoption was from the Congo. Um, That was back in 2012. We adopted our son, Noah. He was nine months old at the time that we adopted him. And then after he came home, we decided we definitely wanted to adopt again. I think any, anybody who's been down the road of adoption knows that it, it's like once you do it once, it's really hard to not want to keep doing it because it's just so amazing that you're like, wow, <laughs> I really want to keep doing that. Um, so well, we and did you, did you go to the Congo to bring him home? I did. I spent oh, I about think, a month there. Oh my gosh, a month. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's another piece of it is you brought your child home, but you're so aware of the children who are still sitting there needing families. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely 
going to Africa. And that was the first time I'd ever left the country. And so going to Africa and going to the Congo, that was my first experience outside of the United States. And it completely opened my eyes. Yeah, it changed my life. I always say my life is split between literally like two halves before Africa and after. Mm. Because um, I just was not the same person when I came home from that trip. And so we kind of, you know, decided we definitely wanted to adopt again. But honestly, that process was long and difficult. And the things that I saw in country and, you know, ethics and adoption is incredibly important. And there were things that we just weren't really comfortable with. And so we decided we wanted to venture down the path of domestic adoption. We felt like maybe, you know, that would be the right next path for us. And so we ended up um, having a failed adoption where we were matched with the birth mom and Um, or an expectant mom. And we walked out that journey with her for a few months. And then she ended up changing her mind um, Mm -hmm. the week that the baby was due. And so that was hard. um, But we took a few months off to recover financially, emotionally, all of that. And then we ended up getting a call about a baby and he was already born. And so we said yes. And it took a few weeks. It was kind of a whole lot of hullabaloo, but we finally made it down to get him. And that was our son, Jonah. So we adopted him, um, like I said, domestically. He ended up being about seven weeks old by the time we were able to go and um, pick him up and everything. So we kind of thought that we might be done at that point. We were like, well, you know, I mean, the world says four kids is like a lot anyways, and we have two boys and two girls and maybe we'll just be done. Um, But we definitely never really felt done. (laughs) And so we gave it some time. And as God always does, he kind of started like knocking on the doors of our hearts again, like, Hey, maybe, you know, there's something else out there for you guys. And we actually decided it had been a number of years and we decided to try to start having another biological baby. There had been some different medical advancements and things that I had discovered through research um, that gave me some hope that maybe I could have a pregnancy without the struggle of hyperemesis. And so we started down that path, but we're having zero luck, basically. Like we had, we ended up being diagnosed with secondary infertility, um, but it was very unexplained. Like we could never really figure out why we weren't getting pregnant. Um, And in that time I was scrolling through Facebook one afternoon and a friend of mine was advocating for this little girl in China. Um, She was four and a half years old. Her name, her, her name for her website or whatever, you know, they give them, they don't use their real names. They give them different names, but that was Rose. And, um, that had some special meaning for me. And so I was like, let me just look at this little girl's profile. And I looked at it and I talked to my husband about it. And so we agreed to sort of look at her file. And when we did, we saw that she had the same birthday as me. And so we were like, oh, that's really sweet. There was lots of other little things that were confirmation for us and some other big things. Um, but you know, my husband was a little hesitant because she had Down syndrome and that wasn't something that we had any experience with at all, like zero experience. And so I am just the kind of person that I'm like, let's just do this. Like, let's just do it. Like, I feel like God is asking us to do this. Let's just do this. And so my husband was like, okay, (laughs) I trust you. Um, And so we set down the path of adopting our daughter, Rosie from China. And she came home about eight months later so, um, let's see, I feel like I'm just saying like, and, and then this happened and this happened, but I'm just trying to quickly get through all the seven kids. I promise like in the minutia of it all, it wasn't just like adding a kid and adding a kid and adding a kid. No, I'm um, saving up my questions. Don't worry. I have lots of things I want to go back to. Okay. I just don't want to, I always feel like when I say this, it comes across as like, and I put this on the shelf and this on the shelf. It really is not like that. Um, so 
so yeah, so Rosie came home and we started again trying to conceive and naturally, and we're just having no luck. And we ended up seeing a fertility doctor. And like I said, they were just kind of like, really no explanation for why you guys aren't getting pregnant. Uh, we did lots of different fertility treatments and they all failed. And so we were like, okay, maybe this is the end of the road. We just didn't really know. And I had seen a friend of mine had done um, an embryo adoption. And I was like, that's really interesting. Maybe we should look into that. And so we did and very quickly found out that like, hey, this is a great way to bypass certain infertility struggles. Um, and it's not that I can't carry a baby. It's just that I can't seem to conceive one. And so we decided to, to try that. And to be honest, it was definitely kind of like a Hail Mary thing. We, we didn't even really expect it to work because nothing else had worked up to that point. Um, we never struggled with like miscarriages. Like we just never got pregnant. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so we did that. We went through the process. We adopted, um, these two embryos. And again, like I said, we just didn't really even expect it to work. So color me shocked <laughs> when I was in fact pregnant and we found out that they both had stuck, if you will, and we were having twins. So we were shocked. <laughs> Holy um, moly. It was definitely like we were excited, but also terrified. And it ended up being amazing and wonderful all in the end, but it was a really hard pregnancy, a really difficult road. Um, some things happened towards the end that they weren't sure if both babies were going to be born healthy or if there was going to be some issues. And so it was and just one of those places. throughout the pregnancy? Yes, I was, I was, it was horrible. It was just oh as bad gosh. as the others, if not. Oh my they, they hospitalized me for 10 days on my daughter's birthday. I had to be admitted to the hospital and uh. same thing. I had a pick line and TPN and, um, it just, all of these different medications, it, it was not, um, I was a, a medicated person for my entire pregnancy, oh just trying gosh. to get through to their birth. So they were born at 36 weeks. And luckily they were both, um, you know, all the things that we had feared during the pregnancy turned out to be not an issue. Yeah. For being um, so, that sick, carrying to 36 weeks, that's an accomplishment. Yes. Even though at the time it didn't feel like it, I felt like, yeah, I you're really like get them, to them to out of me. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, um, I was, I was very, very grateful to, to be able to carry them long enough and, and get take home babies and not have to do NICU stays mm. or anything like that. So that brings us to the crazy number seven, and, and that's where we are now. <laughs> now, you're not just at number seven because you're not done, but we'll go there in a second. I want to talk, <laughs> talk to anyone about embryo adoption. I, I mean, you said that it's something you had heard about. To me, this is just, it takes such a sort of pro-life perspective did you have confusion or pushback from anyone on the why behind it? Or, you know, there are so many kids who like, people are all yeah. about adoption when it's these like kids who have nowhere to go. But did you have confusion from anyone? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely people who I think it's very, I've said this a lot to in conversation with my sister and things like that. Once you get into the adoption world, there is a hierarchy in people's minds of what is the right way to grow your family yeah. and what is not. Yeah. And it's, it's dangerous because God says that children are a blessing and it does not say that 
only adopting children this way or that way, or only having children one way or another. My sister has seven children as well. Hers are all biological. Mm -hmm. And so the children in her family are no less a blessing because they weren't adopted or adopted at a certain stage or age of life. And so for us, we have always felt like, um, like we, we were never opposed to the idea of, of doing something like this. Again, we didn't know a whole lot about it, but we knew that for us, all life matters. And so it seemed like it was just the perfect marrying of, okay, well, there's these embryos that are frozen. And in our case, they'd been frozen for about three years at the point in which we adopted them, basically. And so, you know, again, we didn't know if it would work, but we just felt like, why, let's give them a chance at life. Like, instead of continuing for us, you know, to throw money at something that wasn't, you know, bearing any fruit, we weren't seeing any benefits <laughs> at all. Uh, like I said, I have no problem with couples wanting to, to do fertility treatments and needing to do fertility treatments. Um, we have been there. Um, but for us, we also were able to see firsthand the heart of a couple who maybe went through IVF and ended up with more embryos than they wanted to use. And so they have these extra embryos that they only have a few choices for, and that's to destroy them, donate them to science, leave them frozen indefinitely, or donate them to another couple. And so we, we understood very firsthand the heart behind someone choosing to do IVF. And so we just felt like it made sense. It, it really made sense for us to try to, to do this. Okay. So let me ask you, does the couple that chose, you're talking about the heart of the parents who made that choice. Does the couple who chose for their embryos to be placed for adoption, I don't even know what the correct language is. Do they know that their embryos were adopted and are born? Yeah. So actually here's the interesting thing about embryo adoption is it is technically more of a donation situation. The okay. terms are used very interchangeably. Okay. Um, but depending on which route you go, what agency, all that kind of stuff. In some cases you have to do a home study and in other cases you don't because it's not technically an adoption. When the babies are born, they are they, they come out of you and they, your name is on the birth certificate. Your yeah, okay. spouse's name is on the birth certificate. There is no adoption decree or papers um, because they're embryos and the way the government views them, that it's more of, I really hate to say this because it sounds so bad, but it is more of an exchange of goods rather than a person to person mm -hmm. type situation. Hmm. So, well, I think you, you partially just said it, the way the government views them. I mean, I think if you if you view them as life, then that's why you're using the term adoption. <laughs> if you view them as these cells that are sitting in a Petri dish, then yeah, then it is like an exchange of goods. So I think part of it is just where you're coming from in your heart is that they're life. Right. And so the, the couple who's choosing to donate them, they can do so anonymously. And so um, they can just choose, uh, I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head of the organization in Tennessee, but you can just donate your embryos there and then they can match for you and you don't ever have to be a part of the process again. Okay. So there's complete anonymity if you want it, or you can be part of choosing the couple that receives your embryos and you can stay in contact, have connection. It's very similar to any other type of adoption where, you know, if you want the siblings, cause these are these are going to be full biological siblings 
you know, to be able to have relationships yeah, and yeah. things like that. So there really is a complete level of openness there that's totally up to the couple that is donating as well as the couple that's receiving what, what they want. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guest. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. All right. So I want to talk about, you have seven, but <laughs> you're headed to eight. So I want to talk about that because I don't know that I've had anyone on the show who's in the middle of the adoption process right now. So first I want to know what did it look like for you to have this holy discontentment with the number seven and feel, <laughs> and feel called to number eight? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of crazy. A number of years ago, I back before we started our first adoption, I prayed a lot and just told God I felt like something was really missing from my life. There was something about this whole idea of how my life should look and what we should want and what we should desire and what we should aim for. It just wasn't sitting right with me. And I I had a what I call like my Easter morning meltdown one day and I just cried out to God and was like, there has to be more to life than this that I feel like I've been sold my whole life. And if you will open my eyes, if you will help me to see the brokenness of the world, the people that you love, if you will give me your eyes to see this, I promise you, I will follow you wherever you ask me to go. I love it. And so he, I didn't have any idea what I was asking by praying that. No idea. <laughs> Honestly, I've grown up and lived a very privileged, easy life. And so I had no idea what I was in for by praying that. However, over the last, I guess it's been eight or nine years at this point, um, God has asked me, he's called me on that. And he said, okay, here's what I have in front of you. Here's what I want you to do. Here's where I'm asking you to go. Here's what I want next from you. And so we have just felt like for the last like six months or so that God was asking us once again to step out and make ourselves available for another adoption. Uh, we kind of have a very unique family scenario in that uh, we work together from home. And so we do have more time together as a family and we do have uh, more availability and, and feel like we have more love to give ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of became a thing instead of saying, I always say this to people, instead of saying like, well, why should I adopt? I always look for good reasons why I shouldn't. Is there really a good reason why I shouldn't? Um, because it's just, there's just so many children who need homes. And like I said, we have the love to give. So we just felt like God was presenting us with this open door and asking us to walk through it. And I promised him years ago, I would never say no to that, even if I had no idea what was on the other side. And so that's kind of what <laughs> brought us here yet again. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, just that we kind of sometimes have this perspective of calling being like this voice from the sky that calls to us rather than this calling that exists to all believers to speak up for these children, to stand in the gap for them, to love them, to visit them, all these verses across God's word. And so then to ask the question, okay, so what does it look like with the gifts that I have? Like you said, the circumstances that I have, this 
life and everything that comes along with it that's a resource for this calling, what does it look like for me to live out this calling? And to almost start from the perspective, like you said, of it's a yes until it's a no, not we're going to stay at no. Like, why is our status quo no? Why is the status quo no when all throughout God's word, the status quo is yes, even if it's not the yes to foster care or adoption. It's the yes to caring for these children. So I think too many of us are waiting for this, like, you are supposed to do this, walk out and do this, rather than just leaning into the calling that exists for us and figuring out what it looks like for us specifically. Yeah, I totally and completely agree. And it's, it's hard to say that sometimes people don't want to hear that. Um, because then it forces us to take a look at our own lives and areas where we might be being selfish or we might be being um, unwilling to really be honest with ourselves about what what it means to follow God and walk out what we believe, like what our faith tells us and what we believe. Sometimes that's not so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And our lives really shouldn't make sense. I mean, you look at your life and my guess is that some people are like, that does not make sense. Why would you choose this level of chaos? Or why would you choose? Well, it shouldn't make sense. It should be so radically not ours that it doesn't even compute with kind of why we would make these choices. Now, you've talked about how you and your husband have both felt this calling. Have you always been on the same page? And what does it look like when you're not? Yeah, there's definitely been times, uh, my husband is a very compassionate, caring, loving man, and he's always been sort of let me take the lead in these areas and kind of say like, hey, you know, this is on my heart. And so then he'll pray about it or, or that kind of thing. The only time that it's ever been his idea first is actually with this, this eighth adoption. He's okay. the one who said to me that he felt like there was another child for our family. And I remember I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Let me go get my recorder. Hold on. <laughs> like I had to have proof of this conversation. Um, so, uh, so they're definitely, like I said, when we adopted our daughter, Rosie, he was very hesitant. He was very hesitant because again, that was the oldest child we'd ever adopted, even though she was only four and a half in terms of living in an orphanage or being separated in trauma. That's a long time. And so he was very hesitant. uh, And I was told to give him a few days. I did my best, but I was terrible at it. (laughs) I really tried. I was like, okay, I'll I'll give you a few days. You just pray about it. And in the meantime, I think I went to Target and bought her some stuff. And and he was like, this is not you giving me time. I was showing her picture to everyone in our family. And I feel like he was just side-eyeing me like, (laughs) whatever. So he did he did after a few days, he, he really like, he kind of came to me like half laughing and he was like, I don't know what I was thinking. Of course, this is our daughter. Like, let's go get her. So he gets, he, it's not always a hundred percent, uh, where we're just like lockstep the whole way, but we usually get there. Yeah. All right. You just hinted at, um, adopting her. I guess she was almost five when she came home. Is that right? And just trauma there. And then even just the trauma that, is involved in adoption, whether it's day one or five years in, how ready for that were you? How educated were you on what trauma looked like for adopted children? 
I honest, if I'm being honest, I would say like on a scale of one to 10, like a one, Okay. 10, ten being fully prepared, zero being what's trauma. Yeah. I was a one. I read the pamphlets that were given to us by our adoption agency, home study agency. And my brain knew that that would probably, that adoption could be traumatic, but I was naive. Like a lot of people and believing that if you adopted a child from a young baby and like, I love my children, something fierce. And I just thought I could love it out of them. Yes. Right? Well, not in this house. You give me that little baby. I'm going to love yes. the mess out of that thing. And it's never going to even remember that it didn't. And I have Jesus. Me. Your research doesn't have right. Jesus. I have Jesus and right. he'll make this all right. 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 I have Jesus and we will together, we're going to love this baby until it just can't even stand it anymore. Yeah. And not recognizing that actually the effects of trauma on the brain are very long lasting and very hard to reverse. And um, having no idea about any of that. So we kind of learned that stuff the hard way. Um, with our first adoption, our son was nine months old. And so it's been a journey. It's been a long journey. And he is turning eight this year. And it, attachment and bonding are still daily um, things that we have to work on in that relationship. And you, you don't think about that with like, when you're used to your biological children, that that's not something you have to think about. Right. Right. And so to have to, to really rewire the way we think, the way we talk, I mean, it's changed everything about the way that we parent all of our kids yeah. and in a lot of ways for the better. Um, because it made me see like, well, if I'm not doing, if I'm parenting one way with this child and not the same with the others, like, Maybe there's something to this idea that this is the right way right. or, you know, various things. So that's been really good for us. But surprisingly, Rosie, um, who, like I said, was almost five when we brought her home, was the easiest as far as attachment mm. and bonding went. Like to us, we expected that she would be afraid and that it would just take a long time. And we really like figured we would give her lots of space and no, from the moment that I met her, she was like, the orphanage told us like, she's ready. She wants a mama. She's ready. She knows what it is to have a family and she wants one. And so I thought, okay, well, how much does she really understand that she's four? She has down syndrome. I just didn't know if she really understood that. Oh, she did. <laughs> she totally did. And she bonded to me right away was, I would argue, overly <laughs> attached to me right away. She sat next to the shower while I showered. She wouldn't let, my sister was with me. She wouldn't let her touch her or help her do anything. She would wag her finger at her and say, no, I eat, mama do it. Oh um, my so she was just attached right away. And when she came home, you know, she, we, she'd had picture books of our other kids. So she knew who everybody was. And she just, she kind of just like melted in very, very easily. Um, it was actually me who had a hard time and I never saw it coming and I know some people love to talk about Jesus and we don't really love to talk about Satan, but I'm here to tell you that the darkest, most hor horrible spiritual battles I've ever encountered have been in the depths of an adoption. And, mm. and when I, I wasn't prepared, I figured this was my third adoption. I know what I'm doing. I love all these kids. This is and great. God I'm called me to this. So he's <laughs> going to make it work out perfectly. Exactly. Exactly. And it was really, really hard for me. I don't, I don't know why inexplicably I, I can never, I, I mean, I feel like I know why I feel like it was Satan saw an opportunity and, and took it. 
Um, but it took me, I probably had a good few weeks after she came home, a very severe depression. Mm. And I just, I couldn't make sense of anything. It, di- it didn't make sense. There was no reason for it. And I think that's part of how depression and anxiety work. A lot of times right, they come right. without any reason or explanation. But um, that was that was harder for me. She attached to me right away. And I had to do some work in my heart to reciprocate. Um, and it, it was something I had to work at. And when I did the work of it, it came. And it took a little bit of time, but then it came and it was, you know, everything since then has been really, really wonderful with her and her attachment. Um, but it was just, I guess I'm just trying to say it's, it's ups and it's downs. No yeah. matter what part of the adoption process you're in or how many times you've done it or how old your kids are when you adopt them, like, yeah. you just have to be so aware all the time of the issues that can come. Yeah. Well, and I love what you just hit, which is that we so often define love as a feeling. And I think in adoption, we often choose to love. So I'm going to choose to put on love and act in love, even if all the feelings aren't in line or coming naturally and easily the way that I thought they should or the way they maybe did in the past. But that acting in love and choosing love, that God is so kind when we're obedient that he brings the other part of it along. And that sometimes just fighting for it at the beginning means that those things come along. I mean, sometimes not. Sometimes I think there are adoptive parents. There are parents, any kind of parents, who have to fight to love their children regularly. But there is a beauty in obedience that God just brings the other parts along. But what you're acknowledging is that love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. It's a decision. It's a choice. And you loved your daughter, even if it wasn't all easy and natural right away. Right, exactly. And that was some of the best advice I got and was from another adoptive mom right after I brought her home. And she said, Angie, just show up for her every day. Mm. Love her in the way that you know how. Um, you're a great mom, love her like you love all your other kids, show up for her, take care of her, um, meet all of her needs, and the rest of it will fall into place. And she was right. Just by showing up and being her mom every day allowed my brain and my heart to recognize her as my child yes, and to love her so as good. my child. Right. right. I just had to like show up and fill those shoes every day right, right. as her mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just uber practically, I, I remember things like, I'm going to choose to stop and get down on her level and make this eye contact because she's not choosing it and I would walk right past it. And so I need to create these moments that naturally may happen if there was a healthy attachment here from birth. If she was coming with that attachment and I was coming with all the perfect love, this would just naturally happen. But I have to stop and create this moment. Um, And I had to look for those things, those things that I hadn't had to look for before. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So where are you in the process of this eighth adoption or eighth yeah, child? So, yeah. So we are um, still working on our home study and I you actually just- do the home study every time. This isn't yes. like, okay, we studied your home. You are now studied. <laughs> no, this will be our fourth home study. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Um, so it's all new medicals, all new fingerprints, all, I mean, everything. And now it's for you involved. and the seven children. They all need their medical stuff in line and their part oh my of gosh. the story. Yes. We, we literally called the doctor's office and we were like, 
you're going to want to break this up because we've got to bring yeah. all seven in. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, let's do it over two days. So oh that we gosh. don't basically take all of their appointments for one day. Um, so yeah, we've get, getting all that stuff done. And I think we're just probably a week or so away from having our home study done. And then we'll kind of be, I mean, at that point, technically ready to accept whatever comes our way. So is this, it's a domestic adoption, domestic infant adoption that you're pursuing. So this is like your profile is going to be put in a book or however they do it for a birth mom to choose. Yeah. So um, basically, yeah, we create a profile and then expectant moms get to look at it and decide if they want us to, to parent um, her child. And whew, it's, it's definitely one of those things that is really amazing, but really hard too. It's like, we're so excited for it, but we also know that in order for us to gain this child, yeah. it means that a, a woman is losing her child. Yeah. And so that's never far from my mind, but we choose, and we've talked about this, we, we choose to remain excited and, and continue to display that because we want someday for our child to be able to look back and see how excited we were for them to join our family. It's not out of disrespect for the expectant mom and what she, the loss that she will be experiencing, but it's out of love for that child and that, that we want them to see that they were chosen, they were wanted, they were loved before we ever knew who they were. We wanted them in our family and we were so excited to have them in our family. Um, so that's the kind of the, the foot we try to step forward with as we go through this and share it, um, you know, kind of with our online community and friends and family and everything is that we'll just continue to wait and see what happens. And we're anxious, but excited. Beautiful. I love it. Oh, well, I'm excited to see the eighth child who's <laughs> in the mix eventually. And I love how you do share your story and your family with so many. So I want to switch gears. I want to talk about you. I want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you doing? So honestly, I have spent the last few months, I've been writing a book. And so any other hobby I have has just gone to the wayside as I've been writing. And I'm through my first round of edits with my editor and I'm waiting on my second round of edits. And I feel like that is literally all I'm doing these days. <laughs> okay. So I'm writing a book too. Oh, I, I need to ask you how painful was the editing process? Well, if this is any indication, she cut the first eight chapters of my book out. <gasps> Holy. <laughs> no, it's, I promise it's actually not that bad. I totally agreed. It's a long story and I won't, I won't do all that here. We can have a conversation. Yeah, about okay. that later. <laughs> but it's, it's really actually not that bad. If you get a good editor who knows the message that you're trying to share yeah. through your book and what you want to do, then I feel like the edits are worth it because they're just helping to make your book better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, but you can know that in your mind, <laughs> but I, even just through the book proposal process, I was getting edits. I mean, I went away with my husband. It was supposed to be this like restful getaway. And I was like, the only work thing I'm going to do is like do these edits. And I was literally like crying and cursing and throwing things. And I, I hate this. And, and I was like, I'm not going to be good at this. It feels like you put your soul on a piece of paper and then someone's like, eh, eh, cut that out. I don't Oh, yeah. Or, or you tell a story that's so special to you and they're like, this story just really isn't landing with me. I'm going to remove it. And you're like, what? Oh my <laughs> yeah, God. There's definitely like, 
you got to kind of grow a thick skin to your own. Like in my case, I'm writing a memoir. So I have yeah. to grow a thick skin to my own story. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Can be, can be hard to do because it is so private and personal for you that it's like someone else is taking a red marker to my life. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my yeah. goodness. Oh, well, that's a book. I'm excited. Have you gotten to like title and that kind of, are you allowed to say that yet? We're, I don't think I'm allowed to. We do okay. have a title, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. Yeah, yet. It'll okay. come out next year. It'll come cool. out in April of 2020. So yeah, we're, we're like in the process of things now. And they, they said that it would be released in the spring of 2021. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you're telling me that I still have two more years of this before this thing is born. It is a crazy long process. Yeah. This process started for me in July of 2017. Oh my so, gosh. I hear you. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I cannot ya. wait to read it. That'll be, that'll be awesome. All right. So what you're doing is just writing a book all day, every day, dealing with all that junk. All right. What are you eating? Um, right now I'm on a serious pimento cheese kick. It's a Southern <laughs> thing. I don't know if y'all eat that, like if people no, eat it in other places, but do not. pimento cheese with jalapeno, it's delicious. <laughs> That's awesome. Where are you? Where do you live? I'm in North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. I, we're on the same time zone, but New Jersey and North Carolina are two different worlds. <laughs> Vastly different. <laughs> yeah. All right. What are you reading? I am currently reading Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. I've awesome. read a few of her books and that's the, that's the one I'm diving into next. I love her. I haven't read that one, but I, man, I love her. Mm -hmm. All right. She's what are you wise. watching? <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, I, I hate to be boring, but nothing. I don't really watch TV. Really? You don't watch no. TV at all? Like, if I watch TV, it's going to be like reruns of an old show that I used to like love. I yeah. just, I don't keep up with, I have no idea what's going on in pop culture as far as TV goes. <laughs> no <laughs> idea. When you're like, I need to veg, what does that look like for you? Um, I need to veg. It looks like I'm getting in my bed and I'm either listening to a podcast or reading a book. Okay. Um, yeah, something like that. I just, TV's just not, my husband is like laying around watching World War II documentaries all the time, but <laughs> I'm just like, no thanks. <laughs> all right. Well, you'll do better with the next question then. What are you listening to? Uh, podcasts for sure. That's pretty much uh, my favorite, what are your favorite thing at this point. I feel like I'm making myself sound like a real weirdo by saying this, but I'm super into uh, true crime podcasts. Oh, me too. That's, so I'm I very new to the podcast world. Very new to okay. it, but I feel like once I got hooked, I'm like hooked, hooked. But yeah, true yes. crime is, is what I've loved. Yeah, so I'm currently listening to Live and Die in LA. Okay. My, yeah, I listened to the entire Dirty John podcast on my plane ride to Uganda last month. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, I'm the only person probably sitting here listening to something like this. That's actually not true. People love true crime, but I'm very obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because I don't like scary movies. I will not watch scary movies or yeah, anything yeah. like that, but give me a good true crime, either documentary or podcast. And I'm, I'm there for it. That's so funny. Yeah. It's funny because it's true. And so you feel like you would feel more afraid, but it, for some reason, there's like a disconnect, even though I will no, totally. say we watched the Bundy tapes on Netflix. And then one time I was walking out of my office and it was completely dark and it was like midnight and I just got like a flash of him. And I took this file box that I was holding and threw it in my van and the files went everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, man, I thought I was like 
be above and beyond this affecting me, but it's affecting me. I just threw files across. Oh, totally. I will still like at night, shut off all the lights and then run up the stairs looking yeah. over my shoulder. Like there's someone <laughs> chasing me. <laughs> all right. So live and die in LA. What was the one you just listened to? I'm putting it on my personal Dirt list. That's oh why. yeah. Dirty John. Okay. Cool. That's a good one. It has a total surprise ending. <laughs> cool. Well, I was introduced to it all through Up and Vanished. Have you listened to Up and Vanished? I haven't. Oh, well then put it on your list. It's okay, really Okay, I will. Yeah. So Definitely. that was my first foray into it. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap us up because I feel like we could go on and on. I have a list of questions that I wrote down as you were talking that I didn't get to. So <laughs> we're going to just have to wrap up, but I have loved just hearing your story and hearing your perspective on things. I want to be able to send people your way. Tell my listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel called This Gathered Nest, and my Instagram is This Gathered Nest, and uh, my sister and I have a podcast called The Sister Show. So that's kind of like the three main places that I feel like is a, is a good place to find me. <laughs> cool. Well, I'll definitely link to those. Angela, thank you so much just for your time today. Thanks for just opening up your heart and your family a little bit so that we can all learn from you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. 